Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. I'm going to try to hold the microphone. Not so close to my lips this time. I noticed I was a little hot, a little staticky, a little microphone hot last time. Really? Uh, you texted me and said you the latest episode wasn't in your feed. Did you ultimately yeah. find it? No, but I had listened to it in my feed, and then it just disappeared. Anyway, um, it's January 18th. I'll show you. I'll show you how to You've find it again. You've got Stab Magazine, or <laughs> Spit. <laughs> The Spit Podcast. I've got Stab on the brain right now. Um, Spit Podcast, David Lee Scales, Scott Bass with you on January 18th. It's a Friday here, the year 2019. And uh, we are broadcasting. And we're coming at you. We're spitballing. I'm going to up my energy here. I do have some uh, reserve milk oolong brewing for us, which is sort of a... It's not going to like drive you crazy with caffeine or anything. Cool. It's kind of moderate. So I've got my 16 ounces of caffeine already in my system. Yeah, this will be a good topper. I know that you've been into um, tea in the last year or two. Looks like it's a loose leaf over there. Um, do you use a specific water temperature depending on the oh, type yeah, of tea? Absolutely. Okay. So you're not just like boil everything and then... No, no. So what temperature are we drinking? 190 degrees Fahrenheit. And how long do you let it steep? Four minutes. Right. I got a timer on it right now. Okay, because it's only been about 90 seconds. I'm going to show you this bag okay. of tea. Okay. All right. So, From the tea gallery yes. in Encinitas? No, this is in San Diego somewhere. San Diego somewhere. Reserve what, so milk oolong. Reserve milk oolong. Yeah. Is there actual milk in it? I don't think so, but... Glorious smelling, dude. It's kind of a buttery... You're gonna, it does smell this? buttery. No, I've never... I've had oolongs, but not that. This is it like the priciest. Buttery. Like, this is the... What are we talking? How much? This is probably like 60 bucks. Is that a pound? Half a pound, maybe? Um, I don't see a number on here. I think it's done by ounces. Okay. But yeah, ounces convert to pounds. Um, yeah, you're right. It doesn't have... But it's 60 bucks for this bag. I'd say half a pound bag. That's crazy, dude. Crazy. Yeah, Oops. it's the good shit. I only bring out the good <laughs> shit. This is the secret tea I use for the boardroom podcast. Everybody that comes over here, they get the oolong, and it kind of like... Oh, shoot. That's the magic behind gone. the boardroom podcast? <laughs> if there <laughs> is any magic. It might be the black magic. If anybody wants to produce an A-plus quality <laughs> podcast, you got to drink the reserve milk oolong from Tea Gallery. Uh, um, well, before that timer goes off, I was just asking, this is the earliest we've scheduled the podcast for me to drive down. I mean, we'll meet in the middle, but I drove all the way to your house, and it was early, and I was like, dude, why is he scheduling so early? Then I look at the surf forecast and the tides. Did you schedule this because of the favorable tide window? Yeah, more than anything, I was wor- I'm was. i worried about the wind. But yes, you did. Oh, yeah. Not knowing sure. what the wind would be in no, advance. I, I, I often scratch my head and go, why is it that David always scheduled these spits? Although I guess I tried to schedule this one. But why does he always schedule these? It seems like there's always good waves. It's like... It's like when you have young kids and you have to watch the kids. The waves are always good. Yeah. It's that same, what's the word I'm looking for? It's that same dynamic, right? That whenever you and I schedule something, it seems like the waves are always good. Yeah, bad luck. 
Is that a good waves all the time? Right. All right, I'll cleanse my palate with cold water. Good idea. And you just drink it straight, no cream, I, no sugar, no put, honey. No I milk. have put a little bit of sugar in yours and mine, just a little bit, okay. like maybe less than a cube. Okay, cool. We we speak in cubes here with sugar. Do you? Yeah, isn't that weird? No, less than a cube, mate. It's not weird. Um, well, yeah, I drove past. I checked trestles when I was driving past, and it was actually really clean. It was offshore, yeah, but it was so much swell. It was like off the reef, yeah, way <clears throat> off the reef. Like it wasn't good at all, yeah. But I mean, there's definitely enough swell to where there's somewhere that's good, yeah. But it started raining too once I got close to your house. I know they weren't calling for this rain. I kind of surprised the uh, weather, the weather gals that do the weather here in San Diego this morning. Didn't see it coming. Um, real quickly, this show is brought to you by Neat Essentials and SpyOptic.com. Use promo code PODCAST. As always, those are our um, always sponsors. But Neat Essentials has a new film featuring Torin Martin. Really? Yeah, called Thank You, Mother. It's directed by Ishka Folkwell and narrated by Albert Falzon. Wow. Uh, so Thank You, Mother it's touring so if you want to see it you can it's touring australia right now california dates are to be announced but the film looks insane and it's the first film i've ever seen that need essentials is actually a supporting and behind they're yeah. behind torin is what it is i interestingly i ordered a board based on torin martin's twin fin quiver that you and i talked about a few episodes ago from mother morning of the earth no um I think it was, it might have been my must-see moment, my yeah. spy must-see moment. It was basically he was kind of showing off his quiver. Yep. And um, and just randomly, a guy, Ryan Sakel yeah, from yeah. Arise Surfboards is like, Scott, I think we should make you something like this, you know, because Ryan's seen me surf and, you know, whatever. And he's like, let's make you a big twin fin. And he sent me that link of Torn Martin's quiver of like seven-foot twin fins. And yep. He's like, let's make you something like this. So anyway, point is, is I got a basically a Torn Martin inspired big twin fin on the way. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Those look interesting to me. Um, yeah, I know that I, I got to admit, I'm kind of like, oh man, it, I think if you get one right, you're stoked, but I think it's easy to get them wrong. Really? That's my gut feeling. I mean, I'm not a shaper. Based right? on your style of surfing, I could see you shredding that board like i could see you surfing really well on that board your the lines that you take are kind of ideal for that style of board the weird thing about torin is his foot placement on those boards is so unique he almost has really close together almost parallel it's very close yeah, together not, not really like that but it's close together but they're they're um askew they're not yeah 90 degree from the stringer but they're also not parallel to the yeah. stringer they're kind of at an angle and they're in the and middle he moves the around a lot yeah. too like mid-turn yeah. and stuff totally so i'm not sure if i'm that fleet of foot but, but. he he surfs them beautifully yeah and yeah. i've had a big i had a eight six keelfish like megalodon megalodon or whatever it was called by kg probably you know 15 or 20 years ago yeah. or whatever and uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I'm I'm stoked on trying new things all the time. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear how it goes. Um, so we'll follow up on that. But the other thing that I wanted to point out with this film, the trailer's out there. I'll put it on Spit Podcast. What's it called again? Uh, Thank you, Mother. Thank you, Mother. Yeah, I have a feeling Mother Earth is who they're referencing. But um, 
I'll put it on spitpodcast.com, the trailer. Like Mother Teresa or... Maybe he's a huge fan of Mother Teresa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what other mothers could <laughs> Maybe they, be, they right? spend time in India. In this Maybe it's just his mother, you know, could, Mrs. Martin. Could be. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to point out is this Ishka... Frank Zappa, Mothers of Invention. Could be. Could be. Maybe the soundtrack is by Frank. That would be cool. Um, the director, Ishka Folkwell... I've only seen his name in relation to Torn Martin, mm-hmm. and it highlights something which which is uh, high-profile surfers are indebted to their filmers, and Mason Ho could easily be doing what Mason Ho's doing all over the North Shore without you and I knowing about it, but that Royden Pringle that he's linked up with is really responsible for a lot of Mason's success. Jamie O'Brien with his guys... Um, John John Florence has had a he had Blake Cooney when he was young. He had another he's got other guys with him now, Eric Knudsen. And it's like You really it, have it a re- place in your heart for the filmmaker. I really do. Yes, it's, I can it's tell. because it's significant. It, it is significant. They are. I would imagine Torn Martin would be more than happy to travel around and surf in complete anonymity, but you have to have you have to really be a self promoter, certainly in today's market. And those filmers and the reality is this Ishka Folkwell guy, or girl, I'm not sure, um, <laughs> right? Who's oh, Ishka? Yeah. I don't know. So whoever Ishka is um, has an aesthetic that matches Torrens as well. Like you want, you don't want him to be like blasting rock and roll and like momentum, gen- yeah, like yeah, punk rock, punk rock, man. right? But Ishka and Torren link up; their aesthetics align. Like Cat Stevens is playing or something. You know what? I should give credit where credit's due because there is a guy who scored this film. It oh, says really? his name in the credits, but yeah. I forget what his name is. Oh, my God. Um, but that's what you want to have now, happen. There's the unsung guy, the guy that David Lee Scales Dude. doesn't even know who it is. That guy. Seriously. <laughs> Who's but the that, editor? So the editor or the score guy, music guy, is probably making a living somewhere else making music. You know, the surf thing is probably just a, a freebie, a pro bono gig. But... Um, the reality is we all love surf film, and so this sort of thing, it's its significant, and a lot of these guys or girls kind of fall under the radar. So they do. Shout out. Unsung heroes. Unsung heroes. Scott. Speaking of films, you were we, you and I saw each other at Surf Expo. You were, you were moderating a, a discussion, I think, with the Florida, for, Florida Film, Surf Film Festival, Florida Surf film. That's John. Um, I met John. You introduced me to him. A nice, nice guy. Yeah, John Brooks. Former, John Brooks. Former cool guy. Surfer, fireman. Current fireman in New Smyrna. And Kevin Miller co-founded the Florida Surf Film Festival. But actually, Surf Expo themselves are the ones who flew me out there. Oh, cool. To do the seminar. Oh, cool. So they basically were like, they do these various on the hour, every day um, seminars, focusing on a different kind of way to build your business or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they asked me to do one on kind of building brand awareness through podcasting Mm -hmm. and the florida surf film festival hosted it in their booth oh is what it was um yeah and it went really really well i think i might publish it i'm so bummed i didn't know about it was i there when you had it i would have loved to what time did you show up i was there all day friday it was i it was at 11 a.m so you were probably there but i recorded it and i think i'm going to publish it on the podcast feed just because enough people have asked for it yeah, you know? PT said it was really, really good. Did he? Yeah. Nice. He Dude, was super stoked on it. That's what's crazy. I'm standing up there. I feel confident in like the subject matter. And I felt confident. I prepared like six pages of 
notes, you know? So I was fine with the content. And then I stand up on stage and I look out to the crowd. Bob Hurley's got his hands behind his back, staring me dead in the eyes. Mark Cunningham's over there watching. Uh PT sitting on the sofa. I was like, shoot. And I got super nervous. Oh, really? Yeah. But you you must have, once you dug into it, you probably got... Tried to just shaking? ignore those people. I tried to just make eye contact with Glenn from Sir, from Shaq and like the guys who I actually know. Right. Like, oh, these are my friends. I'm just going to talk to them instead. Right. Right. Do oh, you get a, nervous with public speaking? Occasionally, I do. Yeah. Um, it just it just sort of depends on the day. Sometimes I'm I can get up there and dance nude on the table. Really. And other times I'm just like, and I, I guess it's a matter of being prepared. But um, depends on if you've had your oolong. It kind of does. A lot of it depends on meditation. Yeah. Like if I'm, if all the freaky voices are just put to the side. Right. You know. What I find is I love, I actually enjoy public speaking. And by the end of it, I feel really confident and comfortable. And like I did a good job, but then I don't get another opportunity to do it for a year and a half. And in that year and a half, all the anxiety builds up again. Yeah. And the first 20 minutes I'm skitzy. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. It's easier to talk into a microphone in our in your kitchen. A lot of times, addressing your anxiety to the people you're talking to right away is a good thing to do. You Never know? thought of that. Yeah. I noticed I was like going to take a sip of coffee and my hand was like fully, fully shaking. Yeah. So I don't know if anybody else noticed. but um, Well, he did. You, you were there for such a quick turnaround. You flew in, flew out the same day. You missed all the drama, man. When did the Ashton and Chaz Smith escapade? Maybe, I'm sure the listeners know about I'm it. I'm sure they did. Did you and Chaz do a show on it yet? Yeah, and Matt Warshaw, which was the funniest part. <laughs> it was like getting surfing's foremost scholar or historian. Sort of below him. <laughs> completely. No, it actually validates the fight. You know what I mean? Like, And that's what I wrote was on it. Was it a fight? I mean, what I saw was just a slap, right? It was a, his, Ashton's fist was closed, but he connected with his wrist. Oh, like, wow. You guys have really broken this down. Like, boom. Oh, dude, you watch the footage. <laughs> you like know which part times. of his fist. It, well, because you could tell it wasn't like a, a, a blow that like phased Chaz. Right. So it wasn't a closed fist. And, and Ch- Ashton wears so many big rings Ooh. that it's like if he would have connected with Chaz, it would have cut him for sure. Yeah. But he hit him with his palm, basically. Closed-handed palm. Boom. Yeah. It's, so it, it happened the day before you were there. It happened oh. Thursday mid-afternoon. Oh. Yeah. Well, look, Chaz has been punched before. So I'm wondering if there's some, like, it seems like getting in these physical altercations, although there's only been two of them, right? Mick Fanning punched Chaz, I believe, at one point. Right? I don't think Mick actually threw a punch. Oh, really? He just accosted him. Oh, I thought there was a punch. Yeah. Though. Okay. But I'm sure Chaz has been punched before. But, um, so I don't know. Tell me what happened. I well, mean, I've got all, some questions about it, but yeah, I'm not sure how important it is, relative, especially if you've already done a podcast on it. Um, people, I think I'm more than happy to answer questions. I, let's not forget, Chaz not only has been punched before, Chaz has been kidnapped by Hezbollah. Right. I mean, that's not a joke. Yeah. And that's not yeah. hyperbole. Like, right. that has happened. Yeah, so you that can helps really, you kind of, Ashton's kind of small potatoes. It, well, it, it indicates what Chaz's mindset is. Chaz is a provocateur. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's trying to get people riled up. And Ashton confronted me 10 minutes prior to Ashton, or sorry, Ashton confronted me 10 minutes prior to Chaz to address some beefs that he had with me. And I was able to kind of talk him down and be like, hey, misunderstanding. Oh, so he was already a little he bit. Was but his, his completely riled up. His fire was lit up. Though. Fully lit. And he had been like stewing for quite a long time and like preparing his speech of what he wanted to say and all that. So 
Well, Chaz I, has been poking Ashton of course, since the fight. Of since course. the fight with you guys were absolutely. Ashton, I mean, Chaz had that punch coming for sure, no question about it. But I was unaware that Ashton was pissed at me. You know, that's interesting that you think that Ashton had that or Chaz had that punch coming. I do. So you you condone physical violence? I wouldn't say I condone it, but you let's just get. Did. No, I didn't. I think. Well, okay, let's put it this way. Sometimes a punch works. And Ashton's goal was to silence Chaz. Chaz, w the final article he wrote on Beach Grid about it, he was like, I'm putting this to bed. No more talking about Ashton. So yeah. Ashton got what he wanted out of it. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting take from Chaz. And kind of a, a cool one from my vantage, yeah. which is, cool, yeah. he hit me. That's really all I wanted. <laughs> now I'm moving on. Well, yeah, and... So let's kind of get back to it. Yeah. Back to the kind of how it all played out. Ashton confronted me. I talked I talked him down about like what he was angry with me about, which in my mind was a misunderstanding. What was that? And I was able to um or what was that? Okay. Or was it none of our is it none No, of no, no, I'll yeah. tell you. I'll tell you. It's relevant to the story. Um he was pissed because after that incident happened a year ago on the podcast where they had a debate and it ended uh with at Chaz kind of leaping the table onto Ashton physically. Ashton called the cops three weeks later. And then um, he, Chaz and I had a episode after that where we kind of recounted the incident. And I had said that Ashton wasn't justified in calling the police. And it was indicative of kind of the pussification of our culture where it's okay to call the cops over a non-confrontation because there was no physical violence. Chaz put his hands on Ashton, but it wasn't a choke. It wasn't a punch. It was just like his hands on his shoulder almost, you know? And Ashton was laughing it off at the time. I was able to separate it by just putting my hands on both of them. So to me, there was no fear of violence. I wasn't concerned for either of their safety. So it wasn't worth calling the cops. It's There's times where it's worth calling the cops. In my mind, that wasn't worth calling the cops. I still stand by that. So Ashton was pissed at me for having said that it was related to the pussification of our culture that's what he was pissed about oh. and then he was pissed that i've been kind to him in the five times that i've seen him since then he goes it's disingenuous for you to go on air and say that i'm a pussy basically and then be kind to me in person and i was like no here's the misunderstanding i am kind to you because i like you i like you ash and i want you to succeed it's not disingenuous i sincerely thought that you shouldn't have called the cops and i still feel that way and i said because it's a waste of resources all that it is it's a waste of resource you shouldn't you shouldn't the cops you, you're like a government watchdog i mean realistically <laughs> the cops have important things to do you know what i mean right like especially orange county sheriff there's like significant there's real crime in santa Ana and places like that they don't need to be going to Surfrider foundation in san clemente so anyway and I sincerely am kind to you when I see you because I like you. But anyways, he agreed. Like in the end, we squashed it. It was no big deal. Um, and then, he, but he said to me, he goes, hey, I've got a beef to settle with Chaz. So when I see him, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And I told him, I go, dude, do what you got to do, obviously. But I'll just kind of global perspective on this is if you confront Chaz or punch him, that will be a hundred new articles on Beach Grit. Like it's not gonna go unnoticed. And by the way, you're doing it in the most public scenario ever. Surf Expo, day one. I'm like, you could do it privately. You could have con could contacted him anytime in the past year as he could have also confronted me anytime I've seen him in the past year. Um, 
So this is going to become a story now. Do you want this to be your story? You know, like consider that. Or you could quietly toil away at the good work that you do on Stab and just kill it. You guys are doing good work. I'm like, focus on that stuff and that'll be your legacy. You don't want your legacy necessarily to be this kind of ongoing feud with Chaz, you know? I I would say that Stab's doing better than good work. I think they're doing the best work. I agree completely. The Stab in the Dark stuff, the Surfer surfer of the Year year stuff. And it's just never ending. Every time I'm on their side, I'm like, wow, this is pretty freaking good. I agree. So I told him that. I mean, if Surfer or these others, maybe they're doing good work too. I don't know, but I don't notice it. I know that. We'll get into that because I have thoughts on that too. But I, um, so I told Ashton that and he was like, no, 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 I got to settle this beef. And I'm like, all right, it's up to you. Obviously you guys are adults. I don't want to get in the middle of it. But um, so 10 minutes later, sure enough, when I saw them make, I saw, we were in the Florida Surf Film Festival booth and then I saw Ashton kind of come into our area five feet away from Chaz. So I just pulled out my phone and started filming. Were you the one that filmed it? Yeah. Oh, I, I was wondering how that all happened. Because I knew it was going to go down. Yeah. And I'm at the center of the story. You know what right, I mean? Right. So it's like, so all right, well, your, that's your I have to. Footage. I have to. If I don't film this right now. <laughs> you're, you're like... Uh... You're like Michael Rodriguez's filmer following him up the stairs at Pipe. Well, so so that's the real... To answer your question, do I condone violence or not, right? The reality is there was no beating. There was no blood spilled. There was no broken bones. It wasn't, if it would have ended with them on the ground, like somebody getting beaten, I would have felt sick about it. I probably wouldn't have ever released that footage. Like this wasn't that. This was. What do you mean you Ashton. probably wouldn't have? Would you have? Well, it depends what the footage was. Right. You know what I mean? More, you need more context to make that decision. Yes, yeah. exactly. So the way that it played out, it was kind of like Chaz has been prodding Ashton for a year. Ashton hasn't been defending himself publicly. So I feel like Ashton definitely, and by the way, he didn't just walk up and punch Chaz. He kind of got in his face. There was a confrontation. Chaz puts his hands on Ashton's face to like touch his beard, which it's kind of like at that point, Ashton has to defend him. He has to like get this guy out of his personal space and he does. And so then, and Chaz didn't fight back, which he shouldn't have because he was owed the punch. And it was fine. You know, it's kind of like, okay, Chaz been prodding. Ashton defended himself. Done. Fine. It's all good. At this point, I feel fine about it, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of the long and the short of it. That all was right. the long and uh, That's actually. probably enough, enough of that. But anyway. I wanted to ask you, did you hear about the other confrontation that No. What, what other confrontation? This is breaking news, dude. At Surf Expo. At Surf uh, in there the evening of where was this and who was, so was that a bar me, I'm, gonna tell, I'm gonna tell you everything only you haven't told anyone this we were getting spit i haven't told anybody this but people who were there <laughs> obviously <laughs> know. <laughs> that's our breaking news <laughs> the reason why i'm telling you is because we can discuss <clears throat> the greater topic really here it's not really about the altercation itself it's about this kind of greater topic which you and i haven't discussed nearly enough uh so ajw Adam J. Warren, surfboards, right? Yes. Adam uh, versus Hayden Cox. Oh, my God. You're kidding. You didn't hear about this? No. Okay. I think it was that. (laughs) It was actually the day that you were there. So Ashton Chaz fight Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon. Then you were there Friday. This happened Friday night at a bar. Everybody was wildly drunk. And um, Adam basically confronted Hayden over the 
way that he runs his business. Like Hayden manufactures a lot of boards overseas. And by the way, Hayden is from Australia. His business is based in Australia. He's built boards in the US and elsewhere. But kind of the model that he shifted to because he does such high volume is uh, Asian manufactured and then importing the boards back into Australia and California and other mm -hmm. places. That's his model. Adam is uh, Florida born and raised and then now he's been in san diego for quite a while and he's building great boards matt miola is writing his boards and all that sort of stuff but um adam basically confronted him about like hey that asian made model is really damaging the traditional way that boards have been built and manufactured and uh apparently they had an hour-long kind of shouting match in the bar no punches were thrown or anything like that but it was like very heated and very contentious and really fueled by the alcohol more than i i think that it could have been like a an actual conversation just calm conversation but it was fueled by the alcohol so i i, I guess very very heated but i showed up the next morning to grab a coffee and I tried to say hi to Ashton because he was in front of me in line yeah. and he iced me out very hard. Right. And then, but behind him, <laughs> but Jordan Brazi from WRV was in line behind him. Who's, by the way, Jordan's coming to the boardroom show, right? Yeah, he's one of the competitors in the Wayne Lynch Shape Off. Right, and yeah. Jordan's this hot up and comer out of the East Coast, doing a lot of mid-length. So I'm glad to see that he's doing your boardroom show. But anyways, Jordan's in line and I, Chast Ashton iced me out. So I walk up to Jordan. I was like, dude, did you see that right now? I like went out of my way to say hi to Ashton. And he completely like, yeah, just like, and, and Jordan's like, yeah, yeah, I did see that. That was super awkward. And I'm like, man, and I was kind of shaken. And he's like, dude, but that's nothing. Did you hear what happened last night? And I'm like, no. He goes, dude, it went down at the bar. So he starts filling me in. I see, um, Adam a few minutes later. So I talked to Adam. Adam fills me in. I talked to everybody who was there. And uh, ultimately, it was all squashed. Adam was the bigger man the next morning and apologized. Just like he, it, when I talked to Adam, he was like, dude, I was an asshole and I drank too much and I need to find Hayden and say sorry. And he did. And so it's all squashed now. But the greater kind of conversation that I said you and I can chime in on is that conversation about outsourced manufacturing and how it affects kind of the traditional model. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, well, you know, I've, as you know, I've, I've discussed this at length on the boardroom podcast with a bunch of different people. Um, You've gotten their, their views on it. Right. Exactly. What's your views on it? Well, my views on it is, um, is something that I learned from John O. Wells, who used to be the CEO or the president or whatever over at Surfline. When I was uh, at Surfer Magazine and I was the online editorial director, I was constantly jealous of Surfline because they had cams. And I knew that the only reason surfers really go online to any of these sites is to look at the waves, at least if you're core. Yep. Um, and so I always wanted cams and I was telling everyone at Surfer, we got to get cams. You guys don't get it. We got to get cams. We have to build a cam network. It's not that hard. And of course they were just, you know, it was just this massive corporation. You couldn't get anything done. And, and you know, and I would tell Jono, I'd be like, God, I am so in need of cams and forecasts. Because I would always try to partner up with them. Is there some way I can, you know. In hindsight, you were completely correct, by the way. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And Jono, Jono was like, Scott, here's the thing. You know, and he told me, I think, about something his father told him, which was basically, keep your eye on the prize on what you do. 
If you're busy looking behind you at what the competitor's doing, you're going to get passed. And you need to be focused on what you do best and go do it. It's and I think that's the case with, that's sort of the 30,000 foot vantage regarding surfboard manufacturing. There are guys here in the USA that are building insane boards and doing pretty damn good. Um, Josh Hall, Chris Christensen, Ryan Lovely. I mean, there's a long list of guys that are pulling it off, you know. Now, are they doing, you know, the volume that, say, Hayden Cox is doing? No, they aren't, you know. And they're not really playing that volume game. They're doing sort of a direct-to-consumer. You know, they don't have, uh, you know, hundreds of boards in stock at Surfride because it just they don't have the capital infusion to support that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's two different business models, first of all. And, um, and I don't think that... I think they both can, can uh, survive. Now, are people going to get... Um, 86 or get pushed out of the marketplace if they're not good enough or for or maybe they just have bad luck maybe they are good enough but they just have bad luck yeah that's what happens in business that's what business you know that's that's what happens there's a there's a market share and whoever owns that market share owns that market share and if you're not in the market share then you're not in business right yeah and so you know without getting too into the weeds on it because um, you know it I don't think, I just feel like I, I, we've been down this road so many times that I've, I've spoken on it. Maybe I, with you I haven't, but. We've never discussed do it. You think that, do you think that my explanation is enough for you to understand where I'm coming from? That keep your eye on the prize and, and you'll do good. Yeah, it's, um, I think there's a lot more to unpack with the topic. Um, there's a lot more we can analyze and it'll continually come up probably on the podcast, but I agree with that sentiment. That's where that that term "keep your blinders on." It's like race. It comes from ra horse racing, right? They put blinders on the horses so that they can only see in front of them and not their periphery. Because the moment they glance to the right to see who what horse is near them, they trip up. They slow down. They trip up. So you just focus ahead of you, and I think that's very relevant for all things in your life. You can get so distracted, and that's kind of the the blight of social media. You know, you see how everybody else is doing and what you're doing and you spend three hours on your phone each day instead of focusing on your own goal. And those three hours are anxiety riddled, you know. But kind of for the, the board building industry, the reason why you can't focus on the competition is the market wants what the market wants. And if we're going from this kind of small industry where everything was able to be fulfilled out of people's backyards, all of the board surfers needs for boards was able to be filled out of people's backyards in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. No, that, that's not really true. No? No, in the well, 50s and 60s, the surfboard manufacturing industry was huge in the South Bay. There was massive manufacturing buildings, like, like large blocks of Redondo Beach. And that area down there was just packed with Greg Knoll, Hap Jacobs, Bing, like it was... It was a huge manufacturing supplying, base. Supplying the world? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Supplying the world. All right. More or less. I bet like 90% of, Right. Of no, boards, but my point except is... Except for maybe Hawaii, they had manufacturing there too. My point is... This backyard thing was in the 70s. Okay. Fair enough. So let's say... I'll correct then. From the 70s until whatever our modern iteration is, there is this transition from... Supply, supplying your local market 
to supplying a global market, right? Kind of a cottage industry. The surfboard building industry has been a cottage industry for the most part, uh, aside from a few manufacturers. And it's transitioning now with the way that the WSL is going and all that sort of stuff to where there's now this kind of, there's a consumer who wants to be able to buy the same board in Nicaragua that he can buy in Hawaii, that he could buy in Florida, that he could buy elsewhere. And Wavestorm has been able to supply that market largely. There, the things are going that way to where there's a need for these kind of globally manufactured boards and and those consumers they're not just beginners so if it was just beginners then wavestorm can supply that that person but there's conscientious intermediate to good level surfers who want design and construction and all that sort of stuff so if there are guys like hayden who are working to service that market where they need these kind of high production they need to make a lot of volume. The market's dictating that need. It's not Hayden trying to like take the entire market share. He's to take every single surfer on the planet. I think Hayden's just saying there's a segment of the market who wants this. Hayden's making business decisions that allow him to make a living and be profitable and all that sort of stuff. There still is a huge market share that wants the other guys that you named, right? Lovelace and all of that. So. I think that it's okay to kind of uh, question people's uh, business business ethics and to make sure that they are doing things, that everybody's making a fair wage and that there's proper disposal and that taxes are paid and all that sort of stuff is important to make sure that no matter what volume you're doing, those things are aligned and in line. But I don't think... Like if the market's going that way, the market's going that way. You know, like every other manufacturing industry kind of has run into this when they grow to a certain scale. And he's just following those leads is what I feel. I don't view, I don't view Hayden as a villain in this at all. You know, I view him as um, trying to run a profitable business. And by the way, Jim at Pure Gla- who runs Pure Glass kind of was the broker in that argument. He got involved and kind of let a... Uh, Adam know like, hey, Hayden was trying to make boards in the US for a long time. We couldn't satisfy his volume. Like we didn't have the the infrastructure to accommodate that level of volume that he needed to do. So we kind of failed him to where he needed to find a different solution. So I thought that was also a really interesting point, you know. I don't see any bad guys in this situation. I just see that like the market is growing to a level that these things happen organically and naturally. When you're hiring for a small business, you wanna find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I think the big thing that you mentioned that I really agree with is the concept of um, a free market. Like I'm from, again, from the 30,000 foot feet level, I believe in free market capitalism, you know, like let the supply and the demand settle the questions. And, um, but do it does ethically, of course. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that influencers can't sway what the demand might be. And, and I think that's where Adam Warden with a D <clears throat> has the, um, thank you, has the, uh, you know, that's kind of where his argument is based or, or they have some momentum, you know, like they can like, like I don't ride a Hayden Cox surfboard. It's not because I don't like Hayden Cox. It's not because it, it, it's, you know, there's really no reason like I would. I'm saying I'm not saying I wouldn't ride one. I just have too many friggin' surfboards, you know, but my since I was 14 years old, I've just gone to the surfboard shaper and had him make me a board and I've appreciated that experience. I like going up to being on the hill or Channon at Westlake or going to, you know, whoever over at Pure Glass or going to Waterman's Guild and or calling Parmenter and having, you know, like I love that. Yeah. Like to me, that's just awesome. And if I see, um, you know, like a, a one of Hayden's boards or something, I see guys ripping on those boards. They look insane. Like I said, I'm not against doing that. And frankly, some of the best boards I've ever had are boards I've just purchased right off the rack. Really? As in, you know, like, because usually when I go custom, I start throwing my ideas into it and it goes yeah. haywire. But, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I've always just, I, I, I do believe that the relate, the, I do believe that since the 50s, since Hap Jacobs, since Greg Knoll, since Del Velzi, since all of, you know, when the surfboard manufacturing industry started, that our culture has always blossomed and, and been, um, has been fed by the surfboard manufacturing industry and the characters that are in it. You know, all of these guys, Pat Rawson, Mike Eaton, Jim Phillips, um, you know, like all the guys in Hawaii, you know, there's just like a whole crew of guys in Hawaii that are underground, like like Jeff Timponi. And I mean, it's there's just a million guys and they all are just interesting, great, groovy characters that that like there's an authentic um, culture that surrounds the surfboard builder and the guy that's that you go to to order your board, like as opposed to going to just some mass-produced outlet and ordering a board, you know, like, or, or buying a board from, you know, wherever, you know, going to Costco and buying a Wavestorm. There's no, that's just a widget. You know, at that point, I'm just buying a widget. And Scott, personally, I like the idea of 
understanding where the board came from. Like with Firewire, I know that Tomo or Dan Mann um, or even Kelly helped design these boards. You know, like they're into it. They're involved in it. And Hayden's, in, Hayden's obviously very involved in it. And Craig Anderson's involved in it, you know. Like there is a lot of authentic design concept and, and, and they put out a bunch of good marketing around their boards so that you can believe and you know like rob machado is ripping right now on one of his boards at seaside you know like it's happening you know and um anyway i, I don't know where i'm going with this sort of soliloquy that ran askew but um I i'm a big fan in the culture that surrounds the surfboard manufacturing industry completely and i buy my boards from you know i buy my boards from all the same guys that you're talking about so that's the way that i prefer to exist as well but all that I'm acknowledging is that the way that the industry is, or the way that surfing is going, like if the WSL fulfills its goals and there's the US Open is in Austin in 2022 or whatever, all those new surfers who don't live near a surfboard shaper, who don't have any awareness or reverence for the culture and the history that you and I grew up loving, they don't care. That to them, no, Jim agree. Phillips, I, they don't I even totally know who agree. Jim Phillips is. You know, so great. they need to buy a board off the rack that works. And so I'm not I'm not even saying that that's the right way that they should get into surfing. I'm just saying the market is headed that way and those somebody's there to service that market and that's just what happens. I'm not Well, if the market is, goes to Austin, Texas, for yes. instance, yes. the pie has Double, triple. The pie is, there's so many pieces to the pie. The pie is totally. unending. So totally. it doesn't mean that Adam Warden's business is going to take a hit. And if anything, it's going to get bigger. The pond is getting bigger. Completely. It floats all boats. Completely. The interesting thing about the Austin example, the middle America example, is that this has already happened. It happened in the sailboarding world. Sailboards were all custom made in 1983. Like when it, sailboarding was taking off, all these surf shops, all these guys at Moonlight, like there was a bunch of guys that were into sailboarding. It was, it was actually windsurfing, even though windsurfer is a trademark brand. But uh, okay. so, so well, I've got an interesting note. So, on that. but my point is, is that what happened to sailboards? They all eventually turned out to be Bix. Like Middle America was basically Europe. Middle Europe was just like they didn't give it. They had no connection to any sort of surf industry culture. Surfboard industry culture didn't really exist around all those like in Norway, wherever people were sailboarding, right? And they just all went, well, why don't I just buy the BIC? It's $400 cheaper and they're just pumping them out and, and they're just widgets. You know, they're like, you know, there wasn't any of that um, glue that binds us. It was just like, I need a sailboard. I'm going to go get a windsurfer or I'm going to buy a BIC. You know, like which yeah. one am I going to buy? And they were good boards, but at that point they were produced out of Thailand or wherever. Right. And that whole industry of guys around here, around the Southern California coast that were building sailboards just disappeared. Yeah. Right. So. Interesting. Well, I haven't done Adam the service of actually explaining what his argument was, which he wasn't just generally mad at Hayden. He was arguing that there's another way that can kind of service both needs. You can build larger volume, but set up manufacturing in the country that you're supplying. So if you have boards in Central America, have a factory in Costa Rica that builds those boards. If you're going to, you know, and so I think that that's interesting too. And I'm maybe, and that's probably what Jim was referencing when he said, look, Hayden tried to do it in California. We couldn't, but obviously. You run into all sorts of issues with that. Totally. But it's, but it's still, I just wanted to make sure that Adam's side was 
adequately yeah. told. And I'm, I, I spoke with Adam actually on Friday, and um, and I, I want to interview Adam's a great interview. I can't. Adam's I great. Have you interviewed him? Because no. I told him I go, dude, we have to do a you podcast have to, for sure. And because he's got some funny stories, he's a great guy. Yeah, and he's building good boards. He is. Yeah. Um, by the way, you were talking about what is it? Wind Surfer is a, the brand name. Yeah. Uh, I listened to something interesting. There's a good podcast called Household Name, and they were explaining Escalator was a an actual brand, brand trademark yeah. brand, and they didn't do enough to protect their own trademark. Like there's these these instances where something becomes synonymous with the product itself. Obviously, um, Kleenex, is Kleenex Xerox, stuff yeah. like that. And if the brand doesn't do a good enough job to differentiate their product in the marketplace. Each and every year. Yeah. yeah. Then the government or whoever, the lawmakers, can actually not renew the trademark. Right. So you'll notice Band-Aid used to just it the song the jingle was i am stuck on band-aid because band-aid stuck on me now in their jingle it's i am stuck on band-aid brand because band-aid stuck on me uh-huh, right and so making those and on their packaging it says band-aid brand self-adhesive right band-aid huge and then in small print self brand because yeah, that's the category it's trademarked in the yeah. self-adhesive consumer yeah health stick or whatever it is. But there was all sorts of really interesting examples that you didn't even know were originally brands, like Velcro yeah. was a brand. Kling, uh, yeah, I think it was Kling Wrap was a brand. Like all these yeah. really commonly used terms that used to be a brand. It'd be terrible to lose that brand trademark. When you develop that much power and might for your product category and then to lose it is crazy. You know. Pretty cool. I'm, I'm going to have to listen to that. I'll send it, yeah. Or I'll just post it, spitpodcast.com. Household name is the name of the podcast. Um, my, oh, my. I've got some stuff for you here. Let's continue with the Surf Expo thing and with the Hayden Shapes thing because I don't know if you knew this, but this was sort of one of the – a bit of the buzz that was going around Surf Expos that you may know that Hayden Shapes was produced – under GSI, which is Mark Kelly's Global Surf Industries company. And Hayden Shapes is no longer working with GSI or Mark Kelly. Hayden Shapes is now being produced and distributed by SurfTech, which was sort of like that had just happened. Did you know this? You're shaking your head like you were in the know. I thought I had some breaking news here. Well, it is breaking. It is breaking. So Hayden Shapes, no longer with GSI and Mark Kelly, what does that mean? What does it mean for the market? What does it mean for our listeners? Probably not too much as far as uh, you know your everyday thing, but I mean, I think it's a huge coup for SurfTech. I think it's pretty awesome for SurfTech. In what way? Well, I mean, look, those boards are, people love those boards. People love that Hypto Crypto and whatever new design they got coming out. And Craig Anderson certainly doing his fair share of helping um, you know, keep that product relevant, keep that board and that brand relevant, you know, and, um, and SurfTech's just got a great marketing team and their SurfTech, I think is reinvigorated. You know, they seem to be uh, not just because of that, but because they've got John Vance doing things there. It seems to be working for him. Um, I know Philippe Toledo and, um, Sharp, I have, have a collaboration with SurfTech. Um, and now they've got Hayden shapes, so uh, and they've got Jerry Lopez now doing boards with SurfTech. So um, I just thought it was 
kind of like the one buzz that was going around the, the show floor from my standpoint was that Hayden had jumped ship from Mark Kelly over to SurfTech. So it basically means that those boards are now built in a different factory Thailand. and have a different distribution network. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know why. This, I don't know. I'm sure there was some money involved, and I'm sure that maybe, I don't know if Hayden wasn't pleased with the quality that he was getting out of GSI or not. I don't know that to be the case, but something something happened. So uh, anyway, that was sort of the buzz. And the other buzz is foiling, right? Foiling Good point. is like the way stand-up paddling was in, in 2001. You know, like foiling is... Uh, it's happening, and in fact, I've got the foil bug. I'm I'm all in. You're late to the game. Man. I know I'm late. You're usually so early. In I know this stuff, but um, that's okay. I'm excited about trying it. I've got yeah. Brian Szymanski's lending me his his gear. Oh, he is. Yeah, Sweet. and so I'm going to start as soon as the waves are small. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I'm stoked that the waves are pumping, but as soon as the waves are small, I'm going to dedicate a couple of weeks every day to learning how to foil because good for you john Pizel was just every time i see john he's so great he's such the foil ambassador and all the foiling guys are like every one of them is like dude why haven't you started like you told me you were going to start that's what Pizel is like you haven't started yet you know he just like shamed me into like and he gave me his pitch he always gives me his pitch and then he showed me the videos of him and i'm just like wow yeah and then they gives me he gives me this little lesson he's like here's what you got to do you know and then I ran into Jeff Clark, and Jeff Clark's like, dude, come on. You know, that's all I'm doing. Really? And um, and then I have other friends around here that are into it big time. And, and, and the cool thing about foiling, at least from my standpoint, from my vantage, is that it's pretty damn hard to do. It's hard to learn. Once you learn, you're good to go. But the learning curve's much larger than stand-up paddling. So... I'm looking forward to sort of the humility, the humiliation, um, learning a new thing. You know, that's all good. It's probably going to, I'm probably going to need to get into shape It'll a little bit. It'll get you into shape for I sure. I hope it gets me into shape. Yeah. What about you? Do you want to foil with me? Do you want yeah, to learn how to foil? Let's you're, do it together. We have to go to dog patch and learn. You just telling me this makes me realize I need to get on the program too. Um, everybody you talk to, the sales pitch is that it just opens up new waves. So on days of the week where you wouldn't be surfing or you'd be surfing crappy waves, you now can have a lot of fun on this other alternative equipment and away from all the crowds. Exactly. That's the other thing. So Those when you two look at things it like, make tons of sense. Yeah, it's like, no, this doesn't cut into my surf experience. No. It's in addition to, and it's actually a lot more active. You're activating all your body, like pumping that thing is a lot more energy. Um, and you're doing it beyond just the length of a wave. You're riding yeah. an energy like a wave that's not breaking and then kicking out, pumping your way to the next one, then riding that one. So you're constantly, constantly working. I ran into my friend Thad who runs a couple of restaurants here in Cardiff. And he's good friends with um, a lot of guys in the industry. And he went to Tavarua with the Hurleys and with Machado and probably some uh, the Hurley crew. And... Um, and he said that Ryan and Jeff Hurley, who you may recall were at the boardroom oh, yeah. show last year with their yeah. West Coast foil company. Epic booth. Yeah. It was all wrapped in foil. Yes. Because that was the game, like foiling and it was wrapped in foil. Yes. It was so fun. And I hope that they come back to the show this year. But they said that Thad was telling me that Ryan and Jeff Hurley, the whole time, they never once rode a surfboard. 
They were foiling the entire time. Never even looked at a surfboard. And they were absolutely having the time of their life. And riding waves from way up above restaurants where no one even takes off. High tide restaurants, of course. I was going to say. High tide. Sketchy. Yeah. And riding the wave for just, you know, who you know forever. Yeah. And just going so fast and obviously just laughing and just couldn't get out of the water. And just, yeah. I mean... I'm looking forward to you and I getting to that place where we're like, dude, let's just go to dog pad. It's, you know, June 3rd, it's two foot and sh complete crap. Guess what? We get to go super fast. And, you know what I mean? We get to get our time in the water in. Just looks fun. They're it just does. Fun. No, we're going to be gliding. They're just having fun. So I'm glad that you're involved. Yeah, no, I'm in. Maybe you and I will become friends. <laughs> I want to go that far. My or enemies. Are. Might take more than just a foil and oolong tea, dude. <laughs> I'm trying to, uh, what's the word? Uh, I forget the word. Anyway, I'm getting old. Ingratiate yourself? Yes. Uh, I'll tell you what, buy me a foil and then we'll go from there. <laughs> I'm not even buying a foil. I'm borrowing one until that's, I learn. Once I learn, then I'm going to get the right foil. That's the barrier of entry, dude. It's pretty expensive. <clears throat> what is it, 1500 bucks? I think. For the foil just itself. Just for the foil, yeah. Yeah. But once you get a foil, you're good. Like there's no like, like they've kind of, I, I, from what I understand, I could be wrong, but I think they've kind of like perfected it. Like it's at where it's at. Now that doesn't make sense. I'm sure they're going to be able to tweak on it and make it easier and better. Well, the board itself that's on top of the foil doesn't matter. No, exactly. Like you could just put Actually, it, it does matter a lot. But once you're up and going, it doesn't. But it matters regarding paddling. where the foam is on that thing relative to where the foil, the mast is. Yeah. Paddling, it actually matters a lot. Paddling to catch the wave matters for sure. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because my other friend, Baldy, he had a board, just an old surfboard that he cut down, and it wasn't enough foam to get you going. And then he got on one of Brian Szymanski's boards, and he's like, okay, yeah. Brian's actually thought through where the foam needs to be, what the rails need to look like, all of this stuff. Got it. So that, you know. Got it. Um. Stab, Surfer of the Year. <clears throat> First of all, I thought Stab did a great job at Surf Expo with their little display about this. They had images of all the influencers that had were given the opportunity to say who they thought the top five surfers of the year were. So they had pictures of them. They had who each one of them chose as Surfer of the Year. And um, Surfer of the Year, Dave, uh, David, as you know, Italo Ferrara. And Stephanie Gilmore. Those were the ones chosen by these influencers. And this panel of influencers included um, very prominent names in the surf world: Kelly Slater, uh, John Florence, Steph Gilmore, Noah Dean. Um, I think Chris Cote was on there. I'm trying to think of other non like non pro surfers that were asked to be involved. Why weren't you on there? Why, you're not an influencer. An inf Apparently, not you and that, I aren't influencers. Not on that level. Ashton saw also, I Ashton's like, no, we're not going to invite Scott or David or Chaz to be The reason why I'm not, I'm guilty by association with Chaz, no matter what. I right. don't think I'm included in any of Stab's yeah. fun games. But they, I love this, and, and they got it right. Stab gets it right, especially relative to the Surfer Pole Awards, which it, was just like so wrong. Totally. So this has been a ripe category for somebody else to swoop in and, they and do it. it authentically. Yeah. yeah. And they nailed it by getting these people that everyone's appreciates their viewpoint, all yeah. of these people that were on this panel. And um, Philippe, uh, so um, Idolo won, right? Behind 
Idolo was Gabe Medina by only two points. And then in third was Philippe Toledo by only three points. So there's a really, um, the top three were pretty close, separated by only two or three points, yeah. right? Which is an insignificant margin statistically. Exactly. Because the point system was weighted. So like if Kelly said that uh, Idolo was number one, that got five points. If he said that Gabriel was number two, then Gabriel got four points. So had any one or two people said, just reversed the order slightly, it would have changed the end outcome. Because they had like yeah. 50, I think they had like 25 people voting ultimately. That's what I noticed, that basically Idolo, Gabe, and Felipe tied. Yeah. More or less. Exactly. There was Statistically, just three yeah. points separating them after they polled 50 people. Exactly. You know? So then there was a huge drop off, right? So Chippa Wilson, 54 points. All of a sudden, you're getting. Now you're getting people who, are, when they're voting, they're going, well, let's see, who was number three on my list? Exactly. And they're, they're like reaching, you know, like Chippa Wilson, I love that guy. And they're putting Chippa Wilson down. Now, I will say where the um, 50 panelists, in my opinion, got it wrong was on the number 10 surfer, who was Kai Lenny. Interestingly, this is how Stab put it. They said the most inspirational surfer of 2018 was Idolo Ferrara and Stephanie Gilmore. These were the most inspiring performers, these two people. So when I think about inspiring performers, I think Kai Lenny. In my opinion, Kai Lenny is absolutely the most inspirational surfer of 2018. Like if they had asked me, Kai Lenny, as you know, I've been preaching the power of Kai Lenny for a while. He's the number one most inspiring surfer. And, and of course, there's no, I don't even really need to explain why. Big wave surfer, kite surfer, stand-up surfer, foil surfer, perf high performance surfer, who, and I know you cringe when I say that. Kai Lenny is the most inspirational surfer. He's just, he's just magnificent. And he does things on every level that's at the top of, of those uh, categories of surf equipment. And he's just incredible. I, I, I think Kai Lenny deserved to be higher than number 10. In my opinion, he's number one. It's a valid point. I think the results were reflective of who they asked, you know, and the vast majority of those panelists were CT surfers. Yeah. And those CT surfers have a pretty myopic focus. Yeah. They're really focused on the nine months of the year, 10 months out of the year that they're traveling to contests and watching the free surf of those contests. And Idolo is the guy in those scenarios, and Steph. Would it serve Stab to expand the list of panelists to include, and the answer is I'm getting myself already is probably no, it wouldn't serve Stab because Stab's pretty youth, Stab, uh, high performance oriented, um, sort of a trade magazine, if you will, or a trade content provider. Their focus is on high performance surfing but i guess what i was going at like why didn't they ask laird maybe they did ask laird i don't know i don't think laird was why didn't they ask dave kalama why didn't they ask um i don't know i think the reality Kaipo. is hypo maybe they did ask hypo why didn't they ask are there others that they could could they spread their wings a little more and would they be comfortable with the results that they got if they spread their wings a little more regarding the panelists themselves i think they tried to pick 
the most popular panelists? Like who are the most visible people in surfing and what do they think about surfing? Yeah. And the reality is the vast majority of people are watching the CT. Oh, for sure. And those are influential surfers. For so sure. I think that they did a good job. They executed the concept correctly. There's no doubt. What I, I agree thought, with that. What I'm I did, just asking, could they? What I did think was interesting was the number of surfers in that top 10 who weren't CT surfers. I think that, and even though they weren't number one, two, and three, it was like Noah Dean, yeah. Chippa Wilson. Yeah. Like the fact that those guys even make it into the top 10, I think yeah. says something significant. I agree. Which is... maybe So maybe the panel is good. Is they're correct. Doing, They've do, done a good job with the panel. The panel did their job. Kyle yeah. Lenny being number 10 makes sense because it, at least he was number 10, Scott. Yeah. You know? And I think he could have been higher. Um, but I think that the reality is, while I've been beating the drum for the last couple of years of like the best surfing in the world is happening on tour. And I'll give you a bunch of examples, but the reality is there's really fascinating surfing happening off tour. The problem with what's happening on tour is that it is there's a limited window of creativity that can happen on tour, right? You're catering to the judges. The judges say that they want these things. So Felipe will do two alley-oops at J-Bay, which is a crazy, a higher degree of high performance than we've seen in the past. But what Chippa Wilson will do in his edit is a massive straight air on a a big open face left in Indo that you would never have taken off on in the contest. In the contest, you would have waited for the wave that was doubling up and get barreled all the way through the inside. But because Chippa's free surfing, he takes off on the whitewash roll in and then bottom turns and goes straight into the lip and just does this massive air, doesn't land, like he lands on his board, but then doesn't land it. And that was a highlight clip in this edit. In a surf contest, that would have been a one point ride. But it's fascinating to watch when you're when you're just a viewer on the internet looking at things. So that kind of ability to just play jazz for Chippa and for Noah Dean, for Noah Dean to do shovets, you know, and win the the Waco contest that st- stab high. Like that shove it, Julian Wilson has done in contests and gotten low scores on. So for Noah Dean to be able to do that stuff and for it to still have influence over not only you and I, but influence over Kelly Slater and these tastemakers who are involved in this poll, I think is really, really worth noting that great surfing is happening on tour, but it's not the only type of surfing you can do. There's lots of other great surfing that you can do that has nothing to do with completing the ride. You know. Well, Stab got it right, and, and there this poll or this surfer of the year concept, um, certainly something that I look forward to um, based on the fact that they have these 50 panelists of um, prominent voices in, in the world, that in the surf world, that, that makes and it makes sense to me, and so I get it. And I think the People's Choice Award type thing that surfers doing has run its course. And, and based on the results from the surfer poll, when the results don't reflect what you would think the people's choices are, yeah, that's a problem. Right. And that's been a problem for a long time now. Well, and specifically this last surfer poll was just weird. Super weird. Anyway, um, also on STAB, something that you refer to um, each and every year is the rich list. I don't know if you saw this year's rich list. Have you talked about this already? I feel like you and I talked about it. Maybe when it came out, it's, it yeah. was like... Um, but I was, I found it fascinating. I took a, I took a, uh, so you looked at this year's rich list. Yeah, but go ahead. Let's do it. I took a gander at it and I thought it was kind of fascinating. 
perhaps the most interesting thing, and I think you and I did talk about this because I remember you speaking about this, is the fact that Kelly Slater was sort of omitted from this list because they just don't really know how to put a handle on Kelly Slater's worth. Yep. But um, I will say John John Florence, $5,329,000 John John made last year. Gave Medina three million five hundred thousand. Huge disparity. Two million dollars. Mick Fanning, you know, John John doesn't even seem like he's tapped. He hasn't even really tapped it yet either. Tapped his potential. Yeah, his potential endorsement earnings because he's kind of this quiet, to his own kind of going to his own beat. Uh, Mick Fanning. $2.9 million. McFanning, huge in Australia. I don't think perhaps the American market realizes how big McFanning, what kind of a hero he is in Australia. Maybe they do. Julian Wilson, 2.8. Philippe Toledo, 2.5. Kolohe Andino, 1.9. Kanoa Igarashi, 1.8. 1.9. That's what surprised me. Which one? Kanoa. That he's not enough or that he's... That he's making that much. Oh, yeah, 1.8. He's, he's only going up. Apparently, he's Quicksilver's number one. Paycheck. Jordy Smith, 1.7. And um, Steph, 1.6. And Kai Lenny is number 10 with $1 million. Kai can't get into the top nine. He's always sitting at number 10. I think Kai's the, I think the world is Kai's oyster right now. He, he's so marketable. Yeah. He's doing stuff right now at Jaws that's just mind-blowing today as we speak. To, yeah. You know, he's paddling out, and it's huge. And So anyway... Um, I would urge the listeners to go check that out on Stab. It's fascinating because there's really good write-ups about each one and where they're at and if they're expected to go up or down uh, in earnings. You know, what was interesting is that Chloe Andino, because he didn't make the top 10, he lost $500,000. Yikes. He has a $500,000 earning bonus if he stays in the top 10 on the CT. That's a big bonus. Um Makes you realize why you, how important some of those judging calls are. That's why they're screaming at the judges. Uh, what did your? I mean, when you see John John's number, and I guess the disparity between him and Gabe, what are your thoughts on that? Is John John's number justifiable? Five point what? Five point three, and Gabe is three point five million. Well, part of it could be that maybe the, I don't know. Is it does it have something to do with the Brazilian uh, exchange rate? The currency? No, it's all just done in dollars. But um, I think it's good for the rivalry. I think you and I should talk this Ooh, up more. I think that's a should, good point. You know what? You might Gabe's have beat pissed. me, Gabe, but guess who's making the money? I mean, what? How does a brand justify that paycheck? Does it? Is it justifiable? Is there any question regarding equitability there? Well, look, Rip Curl is is probably the big chunk of money for Gabe. And we know that Hurley's the big chunk of money for John John. And then they each have sort of these second tier group of sponsors that are just, you know, whoever Audi and Gatorade or whoever the hell it is. And um, so the big one, Rip Curl, Hurley's making way more money than Rip Curl, I bet. And so it's just a matter of, look, here's how much money's in our marketing budget, you know? We're gonna support you and, you know, like, I don't yeah. know how it's, it would be really interesting to get like Blair Marlin's take on it. Like, how does it, how do these agents go to Hurley and go, Hey, here's, you know, like does Gabe's agent go rip curl. Come on. I'm the world champ. Why am I not making as much as John John? Right. And maybe they are, maybe when it's between rip curl and Hurley, those numbers are relatively similar. And the, the disparity is because John John's got 
future stance, Nixon to kind, Pizel, Electric, Yeti, you know, whereas Gabe's got Oi, Coppertone, Cabianca, Guarana, Audi, Orthopride, and Corona. I, you know, it's an I, equal amount. Yeah, it is. So I really, I think um, you, you imagine these negotiations going down with managers, agents, athletes, the brands themselves, and them trying to quantify it's clearly not just a world title that matters, right? Like, what is this person's relevance out in the real world? What is their influence? And I almost feel like Gabriel Medina's influence, because he's hanging out with Neymar and because he's active on social media, all that stuff, I feel like Gabriel has a bigger um, card to play and just a bigger argument to make for earning. And I'm not saying John John should earn less. I'm saying Gabriel needs to Are you to saying sit- that he's underrepresented? Gabe needs to sit down with the people, the decision makers, and be like, hey, guys, time to play hardball because I'm bringing a tremendous amount of value to the table and to the market. And like, it's kind of surprising to me that there's that big of a disparity. I So with John John, on the other hand, I could easily see Hurley. Like you said, they have a marketing budget and they just look at John John and they go, this kid's the golden boy and Kai. These guys are the golden boys. Let's make their life easy. Let's make sure that they don't have to make any decisions. Let's make sure that he could buy the sailboat if he wants to sail around the world. Let's make sure that he never once thinks about leaving. You know, he's just happy in this relationship. So we're not even going to try to count the number of social media followers he has or how many likes he has or how many titles he's going to win because we love this guy and we want him to love us. And it's a partnership. So that's fine. Give John John the big paycheck and Kai. I, I I actually believe fully with that ethos of just like this is a partnership. We're not gonna nickel and dime anybody. But I feel like on the Gabriel Medina side of the management, there is a bit more of like the nickel and dime analysis. It's all on a spreadsheet and they're analyzing. And I'm I'm not sure what that how you even uh, who you point the finger at for that one or like where that misstep was. Well, it's, it's interesting. It's such an interesting concept because when you look at Hurley, for instance, you go, is Evan Slater or who, it's probably one of the Jeff or Ryan Hurley, or I don't know who it is that, that, that looks at marketing and looks at the team and says to themselves, okay, we have X amount of dollars to split up this way. Or does he look at it like, look, we've got Julian. We love Julian. He could probably, he's maybe going to be a world champion. We've got John John, we've got Kai Lenny, and they've probably got a few others. Right? Well, Lakey and Carissa are their key. So we've got these people. They, the market rate for each one of them, based on Steph, what is Steph getting from Roxy? Or, you know, so the, I guess what I'm saying is, do they look at their team and go, we need to allot this much money to that team to make them super happy? Or do they look at it and go, look, we've got this much money Here's who our team is. We need to trim some people so we can make sure that John, John, and Kai and Julian get theirs. That so that brand to me feels more like a family than it does a spreadsheet analysis. Right. I so agree. I I don't think that they say what are other brands doing and what's the market rate and let's apply that equation over here. Well, I think, no, I would say I, they definitely think, look at the market rate. No, but I, I don't. It's I think part they, of their decision making. I think they go. We're actually killing it. We're growing faster than those other brands. We're the ones setting the market. We're the ones like trailblazing. And so they can follow our market rates that we set if they want to. But all that I know, all that we know is 
we're growing at this rate and we believe in our team and so we want to make sure that our team is always happy period i, I totally agree with we're that. putting our team I, I first that, but i would say they must you would be you would be um fiscally irresponsible to not look at the market rate of of the competition i'm not saying you don't double it but i'm saying you're look you're looking at it and you're going okay you know um gabe's getting a million gabe's getting a million from rip curl we're definitely going to give john john a base of 1.7 and all of these incentive based things you know we want you to do this this and this if you get to these we think these are reachable if you stay in the top five we'll give you this if, you, if you're number one we'll give you this if you you know i don't know i think that's always been the model i don't know that that's the model anymore i mean when you look at what kelly's done right kelly outgrew quicksilver Kelly, when Kelly left Quicksilver, Kelly's brand was more significant than Quicksilver. Like, there's nothing that Quicksilver could add to Kelly that would make him stay because he realized, like, my brand as Kelly Slater is so strong. Being aligned with Quicksilver only creates conflict of interest for me moving forward. I want to build waves for everybody inland and around the world. I want to build boards for everybody that's ever going to ride those waves. And I want to have a clothing company to kind of, you know, for everybody to wear who potentially wants to ride waves. So having this association only creates a conflict of interest for me. So when you're looking at it with the spreadsheet model, it creates that mindset in Kelly. Whereas I feel like the way that we're discussing Hurley, which might be completely off topic, like we might be wrong. Yeah. Period. Yeah, we probably but, are. But the but but the paint the painting that we're kind of making right here is if it's just a family and we all grow it together and if we're all partnered in this business, we're all invested in this business and the business grows, then we all benefit. And by the way, it's easier to grow as a team than it is just as a solo in individual, you know. Well, it's a fascinating list, the stab rich list. You should you guys should take a look at it. There's a lot to unpack. I think we could have a whole show on it if we really Let me broke it down, you know, like if, if I put some energy into um some research on on where it all goes and how it all goes there and stuff. It'd be fun. Let me ask you this. Yeah. How much is Gabe's paycheck related to the fact that Rip Curl's private? A lot. I think a, a lot. Literally. That's what I'm saying. I think Rip Curl has to look at their spreadsheet. They yeah. have to go, yeah, look, here's our marketing budget. Who are we going to cut? Who are we going to keep? Whereas I, I'm assuming, you and I are assuming for the sake of this conversation that Hurley looks at it like, who do we love? Let's pay those guys. And they, so they make the budget based on who they love, not on... Here's how much is in our line item. Yeah. And there's for a company like Hurley, they're experiencing, there's always potential growth and new capital to kind of fund those types of things. Whereas Rip Curl, on the other hand, it is a, there's finite resources. Look, the reality I, is it's finite resources. I see freaky dudes in Hurley hats at like Chicago Cubs games. You know what I mean? Like, Hurley's totally transcended the surf garment industry. Oh, way beyond. And Rip Curl hasn't. Like, when was the last time you just saw Joe Blow, like Joe Blow Chicago Cub fan with a hot dog in his hand that weighs like 270 pounds with a Rip Curl hat on? Right. Never. Not, not as frequently. Not nearly as frequently. Yeah, very, like, yeah. very rare. But Whereas Hurley, you see, like, everywhere. Like, you'll see Hurley everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. randomly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And they've kept their core. They've kind of done what Quicksilver did, but 
this whole concept of core, I don't even think the concept of core exists anymore. It's just like Hurley's like United Color of Benetton. It's just like, yeah, Hurley. Oh, and they sponsor surfers and they Is United Color of Benetton even United Colors of Benetton? I don't know. I mean, is that it's brand just, even no, still no, in existence? It's been my go to non core clothing brand it. for like twenty years. I've always H and M is the new reference, I think. United for you. Color of Quicksilver. <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, I've got a Duke and a Coupe. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. Dude, we didn't even talk about um, Sorry, the waves are good. Okay, hold on. Let me pause it, take a piss, and yeah. then Okay, my Duke, my Duke Kanemoku. Where is it? I have it here somewhere. Oh, Rocky Cannon. I, I like Rocky Cannon. I think he brings sort of the perfect blend. Why are you laughing at me? Perfect. No, this is perfect. He, he brings the perfect blend of sort of like um, Hawaiiana and intelligence, and some humility. He's and he's he's always cogent and quick witted and. He seems to be a smart broadcaster, and as much as I sort of cringe at the um, the Hawaiian leanings sometimes of of the Dahui shootout, that's kind of what they have to do. That's their brand. That's Dahui's brand, and so I get it, you know. But I think he's really good. So the reason why you're bringing up Rocky Cannon is he was the commentator for the Dahui backdoor shootout 2019. Absolutely, and he was he was great. As like the whole. The whole broadcast thing was kind of fascinating. Like, I learned a lot about Hawaii. Like, yeah. they brought in that Dr. Israel guy. Yeah. Israel Walker? Dr. Walker? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you can only take so much of, of some of those lessons before you're like, okay, why don't you call that wave that you just missed? But, I mean, overall, I learned a lot about Hawaiian culture. So two weeks ago, our kook was the Dahui backdoor shootout because of the way that they it was their- your. Oh, yours was the marketing. What was yours? Mine was what they called it, the Dahui, when it should have just been called the Dahui. Yeah, well, when I went to go post it on spitpodcast.com, yeah. they did not make that mistake. Whoever wrote the article that you read made the mistake. It was the author of the article. Because uh-huh. Dahui on no, their I read website, a press release, press well, release. Okay, then on Dahui's website and mm-hmm. on all their graphics, yeah, it just said Dahui backdoor shootout. Oh, good. None of it said the. All right. So, well, but any, at any they, rate, yeah. we were we were chastising them. I was Bec- not chastising. Get out of here. You dude. were chastising. Get out of here. You're trying to make this distinction <laughs> without any difference at all between. We're walking a thin line here. I need to go back cares? over to the North Shore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Look, the reality is we're doing it in jest. But the right. point is, the point is we just want to watch the Dahui backdoor shootout. I don't. I want to watch the Dahui backdoor shootout, not the Dahui. I want to watch the Dahui backdoor shootout, and they make it difficult for us, right? By They did last year. They did the last forever yeah, until forever. this year. But even this year, I'm going to argue, where's the recap, Scott? Yeah. Now we're talking about it. We're going to post it on spitpodcast.com. And the only recaps they have are four hours long. I know. It's a and that's what I watched. I, I watched a lot. I would always watch the day bef- the day After. prior. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like when it was happening live, I wasn't watching it. Exactly. I was always- so, but the reality of what you're saying and where they do deserve kudos is their commentary team during the broadcast was taking emails from people that were watching live. They were taking text questions from viewers. Rocky Cannon, Kaipo Guerrero. I always mess up Kaipo with Kaipo Akias. Yeah. Uh, Kaipo Guerrero, Dr. Walker. They're all providing deep local knowledge with 
um, cultural insights, that sort of stuff that made it interesting, you know, off the cuff kind of comedy and riffs. They're just funny. They're also very funny. So really, they did a good job at that. But we still do want the recaps. One of the things I learned is that if you were a Hawaiian before during the monarchy, I guess it was before the United States took over Hawaii, um, you you could be a Hawaiian. It was based on nation state status or the kingdom status. In other words, if you were uh, Portuguese in 1830 and you were in Hawaiian, you were a Hawaiian. Like you didn't have to have the blood of the Polynesian Hawaiian Interesting. in you. That was one of the things I learned from Dr. Walker. Interesting. My grandfather was born in Kauai. When? Right before World War II. I think he was uh, eight when World War II started. Yeah, he's not Hawaiian. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But if he was born before the U.S. took him over, he was considered Hawaiian. Like right. he didn't have, you know, it was, they took you in, they took you all, they took everybody in as yeah. a Hawaiian, not just, you didn't have to be, you know, a Kamehameha or whatever, you know, one of the right. true Hawaiian blood. Right, right. His parents came over from Portugal and they were not, bo- so they weren't born there either. Um, well, my Duke, actually, my, my Duke is related to the, the event as well. It's Tyler Newton for winning the Dehui backdoor shootout. Um, Weed Maps was the team that won the event, but Tyler Newton surfed consistently, got great waves throughout the event. There's some better waves surfed in the event, but Tyler consistently got those 10-point rides, which, by the way, isn't a perfect score in this scenario, uh, 12 points. What The reason why Tyler is my Duke is I met Tyler, I'd say, six or seven years ago. He was spending some time in Southern California when he was on Quicksilver. And really, really nice kid. He's from Kauai as well, um, just like my grandpa. My girlfriend was born in Kauai as well. Got lots of Kauai connections. No. Um, oh. <laughs> but anyway, he's super. He was a super nice dude, and he surfed really, really well. And he fell off the radar, you know, two or three years ago. And I wasn't sure what had happened. I lost contact with him, but he explained a lot of that in his post he or in his win after he won the contest on stage apparently he gave a really uh heartwarming speech explaining that like surfing had taken a back seat in his life it seemed like he was implying that there was some substance use going on and he kind of lost his way and he woke up one morning and just decided like dude what am i doing like i need to get my life back and he started surfing a ton again. Ruka picked him up as a sponsor, and they've supported him for the last, I think, about a year. And he finds himself winning the Dahui backdoor shootout in maxed out surf. The waves are as good as they get at Pipeline. And um, bravo, you know, bravo for Tyler for losing sight of things for a very short period of time, recognizing it, whipping it back into shape, and then getting out there and charging. So shout out. Cool, for sure. Dude. That's a great story. That's such a good story. I'm stoked for him too. And it seemed like um, there was a bunch of people that were stoked for him, like above and beyond a normal um, sort of happiness and glee that would suggest that you're right, that he yeah. overcame something. And when I met him, that like I said, six or seven years ago, he was just a nice kid. He was a good kid that you wanted to succeed. And you see people come over from Hawaii sometimes and Sometimes they're tough guys. Sometimes they don't. He was like humble and gracious and just a good kid. So cool. Glad to see him do well. And then Stop. my 
my spy must see happy moment spyoptic.com promo code podcast kato matsukas yes you saw this wave yeah it was a, it's another wave of the winner um potential winner of the wave of the winner o'neill's wave of the winner 12 point but i thought that um it was insane it was totally insane i thought that tyler's was pretty insane too though close they're close i think kato's, kato's is bigger kato's is gnarly <laughs> yeah. and but here's what i love who is kato matsukos have no idea exactly exactly i agree with you that's one of the things that they do better than the wsl is sort of highlight these underground charger guys the the dahui thing i mean just give them a chance yeah that's all it is they're not even highlighting it it's like hey go out into that death defying surf and yeah. then they go out there and bang this guy becomes a hero so here's what else i love about it is yeah it reminds us that one wave can change someone's life and career yeah you know there's a lot of guys coming up through the qs that like scrape to get by for years for a decade joan deru William Cardoso, a decade, you know, of just like slugging it out barely to get by one point at a time. This guy paddles out there, gets one wave and bang, superstar. Whether or not he leverages that to then become the superstar, we're yet to see. But the whole world right now cares who Kato Masukos is. Yeah. And he can get a sponsorship from it. He could spend every winter on the North Shore from it. Like, it's exciting. Yeah. It's really exciting. And he's been around for a while. I mean, everyone seems to know who he was. Yeah. Yeah. I think the year before he got a killer wave too. Dude, look at Scott paying close attention to these low, these uh, <laughs> underground dudes. <laughs> you surprise me sometimes. Yeah, you know. Go Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn Marks? Yeah. Did you see that? She's ripping. Dude, that at Instagram Rincon? clip of her, yes, at yeah. Rincon backside yeah. is Aki-esque. Yeah. Oh, I mean, wow. it's gnarly. Wow. Right? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't she remind you of Aki? Yeah, okay. No? Well, Scott, are okay. you going to go surf now? Yeah, the waves are good and the wind's coming up, so i got to go. Scott Bass, where do they find you? Uh, my Instagram is boardroomshow.com, and you can find a lot of information about boardroomshow.com there. I'm not going to correct you. Why, Fine, that's your Instagram. Your Instagram is boardroomshow.com. Perfect. <laughs> oh, wait. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Scott's surfing on the mic. I do. All right, my, it's Boardroom Show, right? All right. Is that yeah, my Instagram? Yeah. Boardroom Show. Yeah, yeah. Twitter, my Twitter's boardroom, sir. Do you use Twitter? Of course. Wow. Yeah. You you and Rotmouth are the only two people. Matt Warshaw uses it too. Chaz uses it. Does he? Yep. Oh, well, I guess since Maybe I'm not you're the there, one. I don't know who doesn't use it. <laughs> All right. Ch- uh, spitpodcast.com is where you go. Yes. Or- and boardroomshow.com. Right. All right, Scott. Until next time. <laughs> okay. Yes, and aloha. <laughs>